0: Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. The buffalo for the most part of the year that inhabit Yellowstone National Park may be the only genetically pure buffalo population in North America. They still follow their migratory instincts and are the only buffalo to have continuously lived on their historic habitat since prehistoric times. Until the mass slaughter of buffalo that began in the mid-19th century, tens of millions of these creatures roamed North America. Today, the fewer than 4,000 wild buffalo that still exist are under constant attack by cattle livestock interests. In this edition of Radio Curious, we visit with Mike Meese, the coordinator of the Buffalo Field Campaign, Based in West Yellowstone, Montana, at the front end of his journey to Oregon and California in the fall of 2012. Mike Meese and others from the Buffalo Field Campaign are prepared with stories, video, music, and activism inspired by the Yellowstone Bison. Mike Meese and I spoke by phone during the campaign's first stop in Newport, Oregon on September 17, 2012, and began our conversation when I asked him to describe the current circumstances of Buffalo in Montana.
1: um the last living link to the 30 to 60 million buffalo that once roamed this great continent north america um have taken refuge in what is now known as yellowstone national park um they are the true descendants and and people don't know this but there's about anywhere from 300 to 500,000 bison in the united states but of those um All but 10,000 are what we refer to as beefalo, and they're mixed with the cattle bovine gene, and you can't physically tell a difference by looking at them, but their genetic makeup is what makes them so unique. And the Yellowstone herd is part of that 10,000 that are genetically pure, but they're also the only ones that have never been caged in, domesticated, fed by humans, and so they still hold all their wild attributes. And unfortunately, the state of Montana has become quite a bad neighbor to Yellowstone National Park and not allowed any of these animals to leave Yellowstone National Park.
0: Before we get into talking about the problems with the state of Montana, you mentioned the wild attributes. What are those wild attributes of the bison?
1: Well, the bison are a pretty self-sufficient, self-contained animal. They're um, they're made <clears throat> to the ability to be able to withstand super cold degrees. Um, they walk in single file through the snow. They plow through the snow to survive. And um, they're just extremely unique. They still migrate and try to go to lower elevations when the snow gets too deep. And they are just very self-sufficient. One of our elders in our community that passed away a couple years back used to say, the buffalo are the fastest-moving, slow animal I've ever seen in my life. And what he means by that is that, you know, unlike domestic animals, they don't stay in one area and overgraze. They come through an area annually, you'll see the same groups come through the same area and they'll walk through, they'll chew the grasses, spill the seeds, their hoofs are shaped as such that they retill the soil, and then you have the magic fertilizer out the back end and you have a perfect regeneration process for the the grasses and herbs that they eat. And, um, you know, they're just meant to be here. These are the animals that know how to survive and live in these harsh winters and, you know, we have that fear of the wild, unfortunately, and and with that comes the crosshairs of the cattle industry.
0: When you mention the elders in your community, what is your community?
1: I live in um, West Yellowstone, Montana, which is right at the western edge of Yellowstone National Park, and um, we have a lot of community support, a lot of people recognize and realize that these unique beings of the buffalo only exist here and they accept them gladly as neighbors it's mainly the people that don't live here that seasonally bring in some cattle that are objectifying these these sacred animals and so when we talk about community it is the people that live amongst the buffalo and help support the work that we do.
0: When you say people who don't live in West Yellowstone objectify the buffalo, what do you mean?
1: Well, um, Montana is, is a diverse place, and the cattle industry is first and foremost the ones that will come out and tell you they're the number one economic drive in the state. Well, what they don't realize is that in the Yellowstone ecosystem, um, it is not cattle. It is um, the tourist industry. And people that come here to Yellowstone come here to see the wildlife, the wild lands, the wild myths that still exist in this sacred area. And um, unfortunately, the livestock industry only see money, and they're only in it for everything. You know, you look at the wolf issue, and that's all based on the cows. That The cows, oh my God, they're going to eat our holy cows, I always refer to them as. And it's like, come on, you know, this is the only place in the world where you have the opportunity for a wild buffalo to walk into your yard so if we can't make a little room and and learn to live with wild animals then i think you know there certainly isn't an over a, a rarity of cows in the united states and we can move these herds anywhere else and you know it's such high elevation and and such harsh terrain that the, animal, the cows can only live there for three to five months out of the year anyway, and so they're trucked in from all around, and, and it's, you know, it's just a ridiculous place to raise cattle in the first place, especially when we're jeopardizing such an icon of this country for, for having them here.
0: Well, what is the movement behind it? Is it the economics that you have just described? Or are there certain medical conditions such as brucellosis, a disease that causes bovine and buffalo to abort their young during early pregnancy?
1: Well, I mean the the smoke screen is is definitely the, the myth of brucellosis transmission to cows. Um the ironic thing is that this is all being conducted off the guidance of a laboratory test that took place in Texas A&M, where essentially they rubbed the disease on their nose and genitals three times a day, and hey, guess what? They got it to transmit. It has never occurred in the wild. The, um, another thing that's kind of ironic is down in Teton National Park, Fifty years ago, they were only allowed to open that park if they honored these old grandfather grazing allotments. So for the last 50-plus years, you've had these quote-unquote diseased buffalo intermixing with these cows, and there's never been a case of transmission. On the other hand, to just follow in this path of ironic um, mistruth. The elk have the disease. The elk have transmitted it and have made all three states surrounding Yellowstone National Park, Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana lose their brucellosis free status, but yet we don't even mention elk as a problem. The hidden agenda and what this really all is about is public lands, grasses, and who gets to eat them. If Montana recognizes buffalo as another species, that entitles them to the right to all our national forests, all our public lands. And right now, one of the biggest, I would have to say, welfare projects that we have out there is public lands grazing. We, the taxpayer, provide habitat on our national forest for them to bring their cows in for three to five months out of the year. They bring them in um, at the cost of a dollar thirty three per month for a cow calf pair. well, that same cost on private land ranges fifteen to twenty bucks a month, and also in that process on our public lands, we the taxpayer provide fencing we the taxpayer provide roads we the taxpayer provide um, watering system for these cows. And they obviously degradate and destroy the land because they are an invasive, non-native species on our habitat. So um, that is the true agenda. That is why the cattle industry is so adamantly opposed to wild buffalo ever coming back to the state of Montana. And that's what we're up against.
0: You say that if the state of Montana... Department of Lands were to recognize buffalo as a separate species, a problem would present themselves. But isn't that an empirical fact that buffalo are a separate species from cattle, from the bovine?
1: Oh, without a doubt, you know. But right now, they're listed in the state of Montana as an animal in need of disease control. And hence, we have the Montana Department of Livestock running the whole operation and overseeing what goes on in this Yellowstone ecosystem. And, you know, these guys, it's not really their fault. They're not trained in wildlife biology. They they have no education or background in, in what they're they're operating here. And, you know, not to mention they have the ultimate conflict of interest to be running the show and You know, last year we had a big success working with the Alliance for the Wild Rockies, bringing a lawsuit up against using the helicopters over, you know, the Madison Valley in this most, one of the last ecosystems, fully intact ecosystems we have left in the lower 48 states. And, you know, they're flying a helicopter 20 feet up the Madison Valley in spring. And finally, we were able to shut that down with a lawsuit, but not to protect the buffalo. It's because we we had it that it was affecting the grizzly bears and um, had lots of documented evidence that, that it was affecting grizzly bears. We actually got some videotape of a grizzly bear getting hazed in one of their hazing operations. And so this this was a huge success to get the helicopter shut down but you know once again it just shows the naivety and the ignorance of these people running the show of you know the ability of of their management and what it does to the entire ecosystem because obviously you can't have a helicopter fly 20 feet over the ground over the most lush ecosystem in the lower 48 and selectively pick one species to harass. You obviously harass the entire ecosystem in that process.
0: So the intention that you characterize as hazing or describe as, as harassment, what was that in the Madison Valley?
1: Well, when I mean, there's definitely three different techniques that they use when the buffalo walk outside of the park. Nowadays, starting in November, running until mid-February, there's a hunt, and um, basically it's a damage control hunt. Any animal that dares walk outside of the park is shot on sight by um, both Montana lottery winner hunters, and the state has finally recognized that four different reservations have treaty right hunts that are taking place. And so because we're not ever going to try and tell the natives what should and shouldn't be happening, we support 100% these treaty right hunts. Um, the next thing that happens after the hunt is over is they decide they're either going to capture them, which is haze them into capture facilities, put them onto the cattle trucks and cart them off to slaughterhouses and slaughter them, or on a nice day... They use hazing techniques. Now, hazing is basically moving animals from the land they are upon and want to be on to the land that their oppressors or hazers want them to be on in a very forceful, directful um, fashion.
0: How is that done?
1: With helicopters, ATVs, horses, snowmobiles, four by four trucks, essentially anything but their feet, and they run these animals um, and we 're talking about pregnant moms, brand new babies in the spring, getting run up to fifteen miles a day, and obviously that that um, affects Not only the bison, but everything in the ecosystem. Essentially, they turn the Yellowstone ecosystem into a military war zone. It's it's utter chaos out here when this is all going on.
0: Mike Meese, coordinator of the Buffalo Field Campaign, is our guest on this edition of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Mike Meese, when you talk about public lands, what do you mean?
1: Public lands are our national forests, lands that have been set aside for the government for the enjoyment of the people. Now, throughout the years, we have prioritized on the a lot of these lands, um, timber harvest, mining, cattle grazing, but initially, they were set aside, especially in the Yellowstone region, as wildlife buffer zones because they realized that Yellowstone was a high-elevation plateau, and it's not very good year-round habitat for most of the animals, that most of them in heavy winters need to migrate out to lower elevations to be able to survive. But now we prioritize these lands for um, more extractive industries, and they're not really Helping the animals as they were originally set aside to do.
0: extractive industries. What do you mean?
1: Um, extractive industries would be the timber harvest would be mining, and, and also, I, you know, even though you're not taking anything, I think you're taking the quality of the land away when you do these grazing allotments on there and, and just let these cows, and, and it's not their fault, you know, they're from Europe. They're not native to here, and they're 100% dependent on us humans to survive, but, you know, these are extractive things that are taking the quality out of the land and changing it forever.
0: Tell us what drew your attention to this problem and make it your primary life efforts at this time.
1: Well, I had the honor in 1990 of helping start a nonprofit organization called Cold Mountain Cold Rivers. And we did environmental and human rights documentaries, and it took me all over the world. And I used to also get to do a lot of guerrilla media where I would sneak into an area, get some footage, and broadcast that out to the world. And in that, someone finally called me and asked me, hey, could you come down and um, cover what's going on with the Yellowstone Buffalo? And, and so, you know, this is in my backyard. I was based out of Missoula, and that's what I call home. And I went down there, and I just couldn't believe that, you know, here we have the icon of this country, something that we weren't lied to about in our history books. We openly admit killing 30 to 60 million buffalo, and knowing that this was the last living link of this herds of these herds that used to, to be all over the continent, and that we were still treating them the same way and still slaughtering them and still having zero tolerance for them to to be these wild animals that they truly are. And so this created problem upon problem in my heart. And at that point, I met um, Rosalie Little Thunder, who's a traditional Lakota elder, and we were able to combine forces and start what is now known as Buffalo Field Campaign to have a front lines presence. And basically, we um, are with the buffalo that are out of the park and in danger from sunrise to sunset. We're armed with um, video, digital cameras, as well as still cameras. And our first goal is to document every move made against the buffalo and to show the world and to educate the world that this is going on. And um, we've been doing this now for 15 years. And as time shows, it doesn't seem like we've made huge steps of progress, but, you know, we are making change. We are making them be held accountable, and and, and more and more people are learning about this issue and, and this atrocity, and I think in that process, change will come about.
0: Tell us what you have been able to film and otherwise document.
1: Well, I mean all the hazing operations probably the saddest thing I've ever and I'm glad I personally wasn't out there I don't know how I would contain myself Um, these buffalo um, were hazed and that means grouping them up and run across a frozen lake well when buffalo cross a lake they cross it in single file spacing themselves out a good 20-30 yards apart so that they're not impacting the, the but when all put together the ice crushed and 14 buffalo fell through the ice Well, four of them died in the four-and-a-half, five-hour process of trying to get them back out. And, you know, obviously we were standing there on site. Um, And and then the Department of Livestock tried to lie and say, oh, no, they did it on their own. They just fell through the ice. And, you know, we had footage. And then a lot of the locals started to say, hey, look, when the buffalo walk across the ice, which I witnessed from my window all the time, They walk in single file and explained it, and it really exposed the harshness and the brutality and the lack of compassion that is ever enduring in this issue exhibited by the Montana Department of Livestock. And, you know, I can't emphasize enough how this is a world treasure. This belongs to the world, not just to the state of Montana. And for them to have the audacity and the ignorance to think that this is something that they can just toy with and play with at their own beck and wills, um, just, just strengthens our conviction to show the world and to get this change to happen because these animals have a purpose. These animals, you know, when you talk to any Plains tribes, I mean, the sacredness of this animal, how it was their everything from their food to their clothing to their shelter to their tools um, to their teepees, every, you know, the buffalo was a way of life. And we killed that, those buffalo to kill the Native Americans. And so here we are in this day and age repeating this process and, and, and the ignorance of us inviting all these tribes to have treaty hunts, but yet always saying that in this plan that we'll never have more than 3,000 buffalo. Well, 3,000 buffalo wouldn't feed one tribe and and so just the arrogance and the ignorance and the, the prejudice still prevail so strongly on this issue that it's important that, that somebody's there monitoring and documenting and showing the world This ignorance, and and also emphasizing that this ignorance is being conducted with your taxpayer dollars. This is not Montana funds that's paying for all this, which is equating to over $3 million a year. This is U.S. taxpayer dollars funded by every one of us, and, and I think that's another reason to be outraged.
0: So, your goal is education. How are you purveying the education? How are you disseminating this information?
1: Well, our footage has been shown on every major network and um, has been out all over the world. Our website has lots and lots of hits. Every nonprofit that works in this... um issue uses us as a resource, and, and through this process, too, of being involved with it 15 years, we are a trusted and the number one news source on this issue. We also do road shows doing education and outreach. I also get to travel with phenomenal Native American musicians that just help emphasize the importance of these sacred animals and you know, we also do school talks. We have curriculums made up. We, we do about everything you can to help, to help get this word out and to, to start educating people. I mean, the most important thing is to understand the difference because nowadays you can see a buffalo in every state in the United States and people don't realize that they're beefalo and they're not the same as these last wild buffalo. And so that's part of our job of the education as well.
0: Mike Meese, can you give us the URL to your website?
1: Yeah, our website is buffalofieldcampaign.org. Very easy to remember and chock full of very (laughs) much information as you would care to know about.
0: And what is the source of funding for the Buffalo Field Campaign?
1: I mean we're a non profit five oh one c three group um, we do receive grants, but one of our biggest bragging rights is sixty to sixty five um, percent of our annual income comes from individual contributors um, and and sixty of that comes from people that write a check for fifty dollars or less so to me that's that's a voice that the people want us to be out in the field and though they can't be there themselves, they support our work and it also helps us surge through these economic crunches because no matter what the, no, what the financial times are, people are always going to write us that check for 50 bucks annually, and that's what keeps us afloat in the field.
0: Well, Mike Meese, in your position as co-founder and campaign field coordinator of the Buffalo Field Campaign, if people want to get involved, what can they do?
1: Well, there's several different levels. Um, If you want to just do something from afar, um, you can go onto our website, write the letters, sign up for our email updates, which come every other week or weekly during the season. Um, Then there's the actual physical coming to the campaign and volunteering. We ask for volunteers from November till the first week of June, and basically we're out in the field and we stand with the buffalo. Um, we have an application process which is um, acquired through our website, but um, we provide um, room and board. We cater to a vegan diet, but we also do um, locally harvested wild game and wild fish out of the rivers so we accommodate all diets of all people but no factory farm meats or anything that horrible um, because we believe diversity is our strength and we need to unite instead of divide Um, and so we've had over 5,000 volunteers someone from every state in the United States countries as far as Israel Australia all over the world that have come and stood with us and then um, obviously We are a nonprofit, and if you care to contribute financially, it is a tax-deductible donation, but that is how we survive and have been able to keep this thing afloat for the last 15 years.
0: Well, Mike Meese, I want to thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. And before we close, can you tell us about an aha or an epiphany moment in your life?
1: Well, I think that, you know, the one of my epiphany moments before I was able to start this, I was standing on the slaughterhouse gates walking up videotaping it, and I looked in the buffalo's eyes and I told them I'm not just going to stand here and watch this happen. I am going to start something to end this, and that was before we started the Buffalo Field Campaign, and I feel like I've lived up to my promise to those buffalo.
0: And what would you like to do with the rest of your One Precious Life?
1: Well, I make documentaries, and and, and I would love to be able to do other issues and say, hey, we saved the buffalo and move on. But I have made a commitment that until these buffalo are treated like all other wildlife and able to wander and be these wild, sacred beings, I will be here fighting for them until this is over.
0: And finally, is there a book that you could recommend to our listeners?
1: I would recommend something that makes me giggle because I think life is full of sad, depressing things. And um, I think that that this book just cheered me up. It's called The Confederacy of Dunces. And um, this poor guy killed himself before he got published and his mom brought it and, and got it published. But it, it's just a very funny, funny book that will make everyone giggle.
0: Well, Mike Meese, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious.
1: I'm honored, and thanks for taking the time to hear about the buffalo.
0: Mike Meese is the coordinator of the Buffalo Field Campaign, based in West Yellowstone, Montana. The book that Mike Meese recommends is Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole and Walter Percy. You may contact the Buffalo Field Campaign at Post Office Box 957, West Yellowstone, Montana, 59758. Their phone is 406-646-0070. Their website is buffalofieldcampaign.org. This program was recorded on September 17, 2012. Over 400 Radio Curious programs may be found on our website, radiocurious.org. They're free as my gift to you. I hope you enjoy them. Our address is 280 North Oak Street, Ukiah, U-K-I-A-H, California, 95482. The phone is 707-462-6541, and email is curious at radiocurious.org. Christina Onested is our assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.